0: Good evening. Wherever you are, it is great to be with you. Um, I love that video. I helped with that video, so I feel like some good moves coming out with that. My name is Emily. As Greg said, I am on the communications team here at Woodland, so usually I'm communicating from behind my computer screen, and it's really fun to be able to communicate uh, with some in-person faces. So we are in week three out of, week, out of six weeks in our friendship series, which we are calling the Lost Art of Friendship. We're talking about this because we experience so much loneliness in our society and we see friendship as a lost art because there are things that the generations came, that came before us knew about friendship that we have forgotten about and are trying to reclaim. We see this especially as relevant right now during COVID, when so many people are experiencing extra layers of loneliness. But loneliness is a universal human condition, and I'm really sorry that if you don't experience loneliness, I'm going to have to break the news to you that you are an android. So five years ago, I moved from Louisiana to Minnesota, and it was a, it was a tough move. Making friends in Minnesota is actually kind of hard to do. Um, I love all y'all, but it's like breaking in is tough. I was told if you want to make a lifelong friend in Minnesota, you need to go to kindergarten. <laughs> so. So one day, I had been here for a couple weeks, I'm driving down the road, and I look out on the sidewalk, and there's a guy in a New Orleans Saints football jersey. And I was so excited and just overcome with this powerful urge to roll down my window and say, go Saints, who dat? Which was crazy, because I think football is the most mind-numbingly boring sport out there, right up there with golf and tennis. And I don't know anything about the Saints, but I did feel this moment of connection because he was from Louisiana and I was from Louisiana. And so I I wanted to have that feeling of of belonging. Um, I'm sad to report that I did not form a lifelong bond with Mr. Houdat, but, uh, you know, I'll always think fondly of that moment. And I I think, since I'm in Minnesota, this is the part where I say something about the Vikings, like scroll or skull or something like that, but my heart is so stained from using a football illustration that I just, I can't go there. So anyway, we're moving on. Uh, We all need friends and we all want friends very much. I did a quick Google search in preparation for this and I found dozens of WikiHow pages with titles like... Easy ways to make friends, how to make friends quickly, how to w- make friends when you're an adult, how to make friends when you're not social, how to win friends, get friends, have friends. Um, I've been told that if someone is older than me, they might not know what a wikiHow page is. Um, so, you know how there's like Wikipedia, you can go on, well, there's a whole set of wiki How which breaks down step by step how to do things and every page has an illustration, like talking with a beer bug in your beer bubble to go out. But I think that we need more than wikiHow pages. We need more than yelling out our car windows at strangers. And like most things, Jesus has a pretty good idea of what that need more is. And it starts with returning to our roots of church as family. Now, I know this series is about friendship, but it's really important that we understand family before we get into friendship. Families are hard. A lot of us, we have strained family relationships, they're broken, some of us have non-existent family relationships. So sometimes it's hard to make the connection between family of God when we're thinking about our human families. Uh, So I I understand that and uh, that's not what God wants for us. So hopefully we can get a a different, a little bit of a different idea of what God does intend. Um, In my family we joke that no family photo session is complete unless somebody ends up in tears. So this picture is from a camping trip I was on with my brother and my nephew was not having it. And then of course, we've all got that one crazy uncle. Uh, We had a crazy uncle show up at our camping trip too. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But when we uh, are in our earthly families, Jesus has a different kind of family for us. The number one thing that happens when we come to Jesus is that we move from being outside God's family into God's family. And in that, Being adopted into God's family, we get Jesus as our big brother. He's the oldest of the siblings. Colossians calls him the firstborn over all creation. And Jesus calls us, his siblings, right back. Hebrews 2.11 says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Whew. Unfortunately, in the church, we mostly treat this as a cliché. We use it at the church potluck when we're saying, oh, excuse me there, Brother John, I'm just going to sneak on behind you to get some of Sister Susie's hot dish. And that's about as real as family gets to us. But the fact is that spiritual adoption is not a metaphor. Being brothers and sisters in Christ is as real as siblings can get. I have a lot of identities. I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an aunt, I'm a friend. I'm a runner when I feel like running. I'm a Doctor Who fan, but my biggest identity is that I'm a child of God. So in relation to other believers, my first identity is that I am a sister. I am a sibling. Uh, There's this really great book I read on this topic. It's called Beyond Awkward Side Hugs. Uh, Living as Christian Brothers and Sisters in a sex crazed World. It's by Bronwyn Lee. It's a unique book. I haven't found something else on this topic like this, and I highly recommend it. And an exciting thing is that in three weeks, Bronwyn is going to be on our end-of-series panel, so I'm excited about that. But she gives a really good summary of this idea. She says, Being united to Jesus ripples into every relationship we have— fundamentally changing who we are via via one another. Our primary matrix for relating to other Christians is no longer figuring out whether they're acquaintances or friends, but rather knowing they are brothers and sisters and moving from there. The kindred spirits we look for in friendship now draw from a deeper connection of kinship. Now intellectually we can know this, but we can still walk away with nothing in our lives actually changing. Our hearts have to understand that the covenant bond we have with brothers and sisters in Christ is the strongest bond in our lives, and we need to take it seriously. The early church took this very seriously. So I want to give you an example from the early church, from the life of Saul, also known as Paul. So before Saul met Jesus, he was intent on wiping out Christianity. He was dead set on it. Uh, the book of Acts says that he was breathing out murderous threats. And uh, in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus to round up all the Christians and put them in prison. And on the way, he has an encounter with Jesus. And he's left blinded. And he's, So he's taken into Damascus. And for three days, he doesn't eat or drink anything. During that time, Jesus comes to one of his followers who's named Ananias, and he says, Ananias, I want you to go to this, I want you to go to this man named Saul. He's waiting here. I've given him a vision that you're going to come, and I want you to put your hands on him. And Ananias says, um, are we talking about the same Saul? Because Saul is, I've heard about this Saul and the harm that he's doing to the church, and I just, I'm not sure this is a good idea. And Jesus says, go, because I have chosen this man. So Acts 9.17 says what happens next. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Ananias came to Saul, Saul, who would have rounded up Ananias in prison or murdered him, he said to Saul, you are my brother. That was the first thing he said, because in Christ, the first relationship is as brothers and sisters. When we are adopted into God's family, former enemies become family. When you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to his family, just like the saying, when you marry someone, you marry their family. Sometimes I, li- I like to think about the disciples in the boat out on the sea, especially when Jesus isn't with them. And I picture Matthew, the tax collector, and I picture Simon the zealot. Now Simon the zealot belonged to an order that sometimes assassinated tax collectors. So you've got Matthew and the guy who wants him dead. Uh, this is like a Bernie bro and a MAGA diehard rowing the, pulling the same oar together. We don't pick who's in our boat. They're all siblings. Jesus puts people in the boat, and then we remember that they're our sisters and brothers. When I'm interacting with someone, between me and that person is Jesus. Every interaction I'm in, because God lives in me, I go through him to that person. So between me and every other believer, the Holy Spirit is reminding me that this is a sister or brother. So take a second and imagine. What would life be like if you saw people as first your sisters or your brothers? A friend of mine told me this last week about a coworker that she was having a really difficult time with. And she didn't know how to resolve this relationship. They were always um, butting heads. And it was keeping her up at night. And then she had this breakthrough when she imagined herself. She said these exact words. I imagined fiercely advocating for this woman. She imagined them not in this little part of their relationship, but the whole extension of their relationship. And she asked Jesus, "'How do you see this woman?' And when she looked at that, she told herself a different story about this person. And she told me, I realized looking at her this way is what it means to look at someone as my sister in Christ. And her entire heart posture towards this coworker shifted because she decided she would advocate for her and be loyal to her and believe the best of her because seeing each other as siblings changes everything and it reorients our hearts. It gives us a new lens to look through, a new filter, a new foundation. Everything changes. Now we have an obligation and a special loyalty to our family members. This is a little bit hard for us to understand in an individualistic society like the one that we have, but in collectivist cultures, people's family ties are bound up with a sense of obligation and responsibility. A collectivist culture sees that you are part of something bigger than yourself, and that is your family. And in God's family, we love all our neighbors, but we sacrifice and look out for our family in a unique way. So that's, that's family, but what does this have to do with friendship? Last week, Greg introduced us to an idea from Aristotle about three levels of friendship. Uh, friends for pleasure, these are the people that you watch TV shows with, uh, you like the same kind of music, you like to go biking together. Then there's friends for purpose. These are uh, coworkers, maybe people on a sports team, you have a common goal or an aim that you're all working towards. You're in something together. And then the third friendship that Aristotle recognized is true friendship. And this is where you are committed to one another, to invest in each other, to grow each other's character, to build each other up as people. And this is what we think of as spiritual friendship. And spiritual friendship only happens when we build first on that foundation of family. Now, if Aristotle is all Greek to you, here's another way that I found helpful, thank you, thank you, to think about this. So, uh, Scott Boren, who is Shauna's husband, um, wrote this book, The Relational Way. And he has a great metaphor in here uh, that I'm gonna uh, paraphrase. He talks about, the friendships and the relationships we have in terms of how we would invite someone into different rooms in our house. So he starts off with your friend Jim. You've known Jim a couple years. Your kids are both in youth group. Uh, Last year you were at a banquet and you sat next to him and you talked about mountain biking. Well, when Jim comes by your house to pick up his son, you invite him into your living room and the two of you chat a bit. Jim is a living room friend. Then there's Terry. She's in your small group. You've known her for years. Your families have meals together. You and your spouses go double on double dates. So when Terry comes over, you invite her into your den, even though there's dirty clothes on the floor. Terry is a den friend. Lastly, there's Tracy. I'm going to read Scott's description. Tracy drops by the house a couple times a week, often unexpectedly this time, you are still getting dressed. When you come out, she is drinking coffee and finishing off a muffin at your kitchen table. As you join her for a cup of coffee, you share how God has convicted you this week about how you treat your kids. Tracy shares how she feels overwhelmed with her current work situation. Tracy is a kitchen table friend. And I love Scott's picture because I think we can quickly imagine the people in our lives who we invite into our living room and our den and our kitchen, or or whatever the equivalent is in your house of the degrees of intimacy. It's really easy for me to picture this. And there are joys and benefits in levels one and two and three. There are joys and gifts in the living room friends, the den friends, and the kitchen friends. Each one of these is great. Uh, Scott sums this up really well. While each of these people would be considered a friend, some are new acquaintances and others are like family. Each has a different kind of access to your home's life and heart. So each of these is important. But as a society, it seems that generally we're stuck on levels one and two of those living room and den friends. Most of our friendships are built around either an affinity that we share or an affiliation. And the friendships that we need most, the ones that are built on family, where people walk into the kitchen and open the fridge and help themselves to a snack, these are the friendships that we pay the least attention to and are least likely to have. Now before we go into that more, I I do want to make clear that in our church, just because we are family does not mean we will be deep committed friends with every single person. Most of the friends, I I won't even be friends with everybody in the church and the people I am friends with, most of them will be level one or level two. They'll be living room or den friends. Just because we're siblings, we can't go to the deepest depths. I I have five siblings and I, I can't imagine my life if I was equally invested in each one of them. That's not possible. I mostly, I have different degrees of intimacy depending on personality and life circumstances and so on. And sometimes it changes. Jesus himself showed that he had limited capacity. In in Luke, he sends out the 72. That's a big old circle. But then he has the 12 disciples and then he has that inner three in Peter, James, and John. So Jesus models for us those, the capacity we have, and our capacity for spiritual friendship maxes out about maybe three or four. With that said, in all our friendships, one, two, three, living room, den, and kitchen, we need to ask Jesus for discernment in all three of those. Who am I called to be friends with? Which may mean I don't necessarily pick friends based on who I find fun to hang out with, but who Jesus is asking me to be friend. One of the ways that we take care of our siblings is keeping an eye out for them when they're lonely and maybe when they need a friend. Sometimes one of our siblings will need us more than another sibling. So we're not always asking on levels one and two, who's really fun, although that's great to have for friends, but who maybe needs a friend right now? Who are you calling me to? We also need Jesus' discernment in who we're called to be spiritual friends with. We can ask him, Jesus, who are you asking me Maybe of my existing friends, or someone new to have a spiritual friendship with, a kitchen friendship. So, spiritual friendship goes beyond fun and enjoyment to spurring each other on to Jesus and helping us grow. Dr. Sue Intan is the director of Gracework Ministries, and he describes spiritual friendship like this a friendship that is rooted in Christ for the purpose of helping followers of Jesus grow in Christ. We cannot connect with all our friends with the same degree of intensity, but there will be those two or three people in whose lives we are called to be vitally active and lovingly extravagant. With these people, we are our true selves. We carry each other's burdens. We challenge each other. We cheer each other on. We go through the thick and thin. So last week, Greg talked about some myths that go, that go along with spiritual friendship that spiritual friendship is able to push back against. And I think they're worth repeating um, because they're so ingrained in our culture that we need to know about them and see how spiritual friendship can go upstream against them. The first one that Greg talked about is the myth of romantic love. This one says a couple different things. First of all, it says that your significant other is going to meet all your needs for intimacy, or most of them anyway. That they're gonna be your soulmate, your best friend, and that they are going to provide everything you need as far as emotional support. And this just isn't true. And it's really, really bad for us because what it ends up doing is it ends up isolating couples. They turn in on themselves and cut themselves off from other couples and also from singles. And they're under this incredibly unrealistic expectation that they will be able to meet every single thing that their spouse needs. And the truth is that we all need a family of fellow believers to surround us, to help us grow. Our status as siblings is greater than our marital status. So as spiritual friendships, our intimate friendships are moved from one person who carries everything for us to being spread out in a healthy way across multiple relationships. A second problem with the, with the myth of romantic love is that it causes people to very strongly associate intimacy with sex. We make a huge or a very, very, very fast leap from intimacy to sex and we have a hard time imagining what intimacy looks like outside of sex. We can't even imagine a time that in history friendship was the pinnacle relationship over romantic relationships. Can you imagine our society thinking that today? It's it's such a foreign idea to us. And so we've we've lost something. We've lost the idea of, of a relationship that isn't hypersexualized. And this is a loss uh, for marriages across or for relationships across sexes, because every relationship you're in must have some romantic intentions floating around. And if it's a relationship between a married person and an unmarried person or another married person, there's an affair lurking around the corner that is just about to happen. And even deep intimacy with the same sex has been pushed to the side because of homophobia. And this is particularly hard for men as, as opposed to women. Men in our culture are not able to express affection and intimacy physically or with their words for the most part because they get societal pushback for them. So we all suffer for the fact that all we can see when it comes to intimacy is sex. Again, in Bronwyn's book, I think she explains this really well. She says, when we see two women holding hands or a married woman texting with a married male friend, we, the church, jump to the same conclusions that the world does. This must be a romantic love and we should panic. We are blind even to the possibility that there could be alternatives such as affection, friendship, kinship, and deep commitment at play. Our sex craze culture trains our minds to see people primarily as sexual beings and or sexual partners rather than as human beings, potential friends, and ministry partners. But as siblings, we don't have to buy into that. We can have intimacy between sisters and brothers, between sisters and sisters, between brothers and brothers. We can be close to each other without being afraid. We can be at ease with one another because spiritual friendship makes this possible. And again, Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? He shows us how a brother treats his sisters. He was friends with Mary and Martha. They were dear friends to him. And he scandalously sat alone with the woman at the well. And Jesus had among his followers, people who traveled with him and supported his ministry, he had both married and unmarried women supporting him. This was part of his group of followers. Paul gives Timothy this advice in 1 Timothy 5, 1-2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. That's good advice. That's good advice to come into interactions with. Now, obviously, we don't want to throw away uh, caution and wisdom and guardrails. There's common sense, right, in relationships, and there needs to be communication and wisdom between spouses. And this doesn't work if only one person is seeing the relationship as a sibling relationship. Everybody involved needs to be seeing it as a sibling relationship. So there needs to be uh, caution in that. So living into the reality of our siblinghood counteracts the myths of romantic love. Spiritual friendship also pushes back against the myth of consumer friendship, Because our culture in the West is so premised around individualism and consumerism. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, and we do as much of it as we want, always moving from one thing to the next to the next. Whatever suits me, whatever makes me feel good. And when you bring this attitude to friendship, friendships become disposable when it works for me, when I feel good, when I like it, when I'm enjoying it, I will keep this friendship. As soon as it starts working, not working for me, you know, I, I could probably find someone else who's, who's better suited to me as a friend, and I'll just consume the next person. It was nice while this old friendship lasted. Now, on level one and two friendships, that, that can happen very naturally, and it's not always a problem. Someone moves and and you're not in each other's lives anymore. There are natural endings to those relationships. And relationships that are unhealthy or abusive need to end. But spiritual friendships say no to the temptation to treat everybody this way, that we only hang on to you for as long as we feel good about it or get something from it. Spiritual friendships, we say nope, I'm in this for the long haul, even when it's tough, even when it's a struggle. We're in this together. Because you can't casually end family relationships, right? Yes, you can cut people out of your life, you can cut your family out, but that doesn't actually change the fact that they are your sisters or brothers. Your family status doesn't end just because you stop talking. And our siblings aren't disposable. So in these ways, a spiritual friendship goes upstream against individualism through self-sacrificial love, and it goes upstream against consumerism because I'm not jumping from person to person to meet my needs, but I'm committing to to that person. I want to share an example of how this looks in my own life, and I— One of my spiritual friends is my friend Libby. We lived next door to each other for three and a half years. Uh, We've known each other for four years. And one of the first times I noticed her, I looked out my window. Our houses are right next to each other. were, And I saw her and her three kids walking through the backyard and they were all wearing Star Wars costumes. And I was like... I need to be friends with this woman. So I invited myself over to her house and I said, I brought a pancake mix, which I'd never made pancakes from a mix before. I said, I'll make pancakes. And I made the worst pancakes you can imagine. They were hard and not fluffy and just terrible. And I was so embarrassed and Libby had to rescue them. But that was the beginning for us. And uh, we, since then, have shared so many mails together, all of which Libby has cooked. Thank you, Libby. <laughs> and in our four years as friends, we've walked through a lot of really hard things together. Things that are so hard, you you know, you end up on the floor crying because you just don't know if you can handle them. And we've talked each other off of ledges, and we've shared things that we wouldn't share with other people. She knows a lot of my deep, dark secrets. I think all of them, probably. And... Libby is just such a joy in my life. She's always my plus one for every event I go to. She knows that my love language is words of affirmation and that I love getting mail. Checking the mailbox is when I, like, my favorite part of the day. And so even when we lived right next door to each other, she, she would send me mail. like Actually, like with a stamp, mailed at the post office. Um, and I loved that. During COVID, our, our windows faced each other. And so she had a whiteboard and I had a whiteboard. And we would write messages for each other back and forth when we were in quarantine. And uh, she also, one day her family was doing karaoke, so she opened the window and brought the machine as close as she could so that they could karaoke out the window for me, which was was really touched. Uh, Sometimes she's running errands and I join her not because I need anything, but because it's just, I just like being with her. And of course, like any friendship, we've gone through some some tough things. Uh, One time we were moving a decorative uh, water fountain in the backyard together, and and she dropped it on my foot. Um, That was painful. Uh, Did I forgive her? Yes, I did, because that is what spiritual friends do. Did I forget? (coughs) Anyway, I love you, Libby. I really do. And I have a key to Libby's house, which means that Sometimes I do go in and get a snack from the fridge while she's still getting dressed. But the biggest gift and what makes this a spiritual friendship is that Libby is consistently pointing me back to Jesus. She knows that my ultimate comfort and encouragement has to come from Him. So when I'm having a hard time, she brings me back to Jesus, not just the comfort that she can offer in chocolate and watching a movie together. She invests in my character. She provides accountability with me, even though sometimes it means her saying hard truths to me because she knows that I'm better for it. She's able to say hard things to me and look out for me and she consistently prays for me. I so appreciate that. And she is the iron that sharpens iron in my life. Um, A couple weeks ago, I woke up from a really terrible nightmare at one in the morning. And so I called her and said, oh, Libby, can you pray with me? And she happened to be awake. And so she she answered the phone and she prayed with me. And then she was like, do you want me to distract you so you can fall back asleep? And I was like, yes, please. And so she said, she had been out house hunting and so she texted me a picture and she said, oh, this is the Emily room in the house we're thinking about getting. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. That's great. And I kind of went along with it and then, you know, went to bed. The next day, a couple days later, I get another text from her and she said, hey, here's another house we're looking at and we think this is the Emily room. And I called her and I said, oh, this isn't a joke. Like you, you really mean this. And she said, oh yeah, every house we look at, we look for five bedroom houses so that we have a room for you in case you want to live with us oh man does that feel good and i she says we love to have you because we think of you as family now psalm 68 6 says about god he sets the lonely in families That is such good news. What a gift that is. That's why I've titled this sermon, He Sets the Lonely in Families, because it is a hope to us, it is a comfort, it is where we can get our belonging. You, every single one of you, are part of a family. God has an answer to the loneliness we experience, and that answer is His family but it's important to remember that that doesn't just happen. It's not an automatic thing. Yes, his answer to loneliness is family, but we are the ones who make that happen then. We have to take the initiative. We have to do the work. And it's hard work and it's not easy and it's not always fun, but it is what we are called to for each other. You might be in a really lonely season right now and feel like you don't have friends. And I would encourage you to pray Jesus, who might I be able to be friends with on any level, but particularly spiritual friendship? Be on the lookout, be asking, be searching, and uh, maybe invite yourself over for really like brick hard pancakes. (laughs) If on the other hand, you're feeling really good about the season of friendship that you're in, that's great. I would encourage your prayer to be, Jesus, who of my siblings right now is lonely and might need a friend? Who in my life, who in my circle needs someone to come alongside of them? And we can form a friendship together. So we all need to be asking Jesus, who are you calling me into friendship with? If you're not sure where to start, we have a class coming up starting October 18th on spiritual friendship. And it's foundational principles and guidance on how to form these friendships that go beyond the living room and the den into the kitchen refrigerator. It's it's really good stuff. I went through uh, the classes part of something we did as a staff, and I highly, highly recommend it. I think it's a great starting place. Registration is open, so you can go on our website and register for that. I also want to say that this is a process. This takes time. It's not something that happens right away. You will not leave this service. Go find the first person you meet and all of a sudden be instant friends. So don't be discouraged. Sometimes it it takes time and you'll have false starts. You'll think, oh, this is the person and it'll sputter out, but don't give up. Just keep your ears and your eyes open to what God is calling you to. So I hope we can move beyond yelling football chants at strangers into seeing each other as siblings and entering the world of kitchens and bad pancakes where we can reclaim spiritual friendship and where the lonely find families. Okay, so have some announcements family? Stick with me. This is one of the unfun parts of being family, is announcements. Um, We've got the MuseCast every Tuesday. It's uh, Shauna and Dan, and they go through the sermon. It's a discussion. It's fun to tune into. They have goofy humor. We've got gathering groups. If you want to find ways of connecting with people, this could be a starting point for making friends. These are sermon discussion groups that you can join, and there's a couple different times for them. Um, we have prayer both online, on Zoom, and we also have prayer uh, in person. And I also want to remind you guys to hold a spot for your kids. If you're a parent, hold a spot in uh, Heroes Gate for your kids for next week. So thank you. Thank you. Go in peace.